When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we're all in take five. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, hook them up. 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Hook them up. With Hickey and Rod B rolls on on a historic and eventful day. And 24-hour time in sports, college and pro football. Stories developing quick, and uh, the what's next conversations begin immediately when you hear the news, <laughs> including this text. Is, uh, uh, bullish or BS, guys? How worried should Texas fans be that Sark may go to Alabama? We talked about that since 6 a.m., and uh, I think there should be some concern. I'm not going to say that that Brinks truck that just passed you or you just passed on the freeway may be headed to Sark's house. Yeah. Back up to his driveway. He's about to get paid. But um, so uh, Rod took us through the uh, the Joel Klatt sound of last hour that uh, and that Sark had an opportunity to be the coach in waiting potentially uh, with Nick Saban while he was still at Alabama, yeah. uh, but took the Texas job. Um, and the way Joel Klatt told the story, Rod, that there was a different job a year earlier that Sark could have had, which Saban told him, hey, um, I wouldn't take that. Why don't you stick here? You can uh, – you know, take this when I'm done kind of thing. And then, you know, the following year, Texas came open. And I think both agreed that, hey, that's too good a job to pass. I which job I like, was Me open. too. I was thinking that. Um, was it Florida State open that time? Was I, Florida State open then? Was Mike Norville hired then? Possibly. Uh, it, it, I'm trying to think of what cycles, uh, what coaching uh, jobs were open that cycle. I want to say Florida State might have been one that was open. I got to go back and look. But, yeah, I mean, I can see that. I guess it, that's why I'm not worried about Sark leaving it. First of all, the big money boosters donors, BMDs, shout out to them. They, they lost uh, a bidding war, I guess you will, for Bo Davis because Bo Davis left. Um, they're not going to lose two in a row. Uh, and they're going to lose their head coach in a bidding war against, you know, Alabama. And, Nick's, and listen, if Nick Saban wanted Sark there, as Joe Clatt said, um, to be his successor, I, I do think, you know, Sark had the opportunity, and I'm sure Sark thought about it. Uh, you brought it up how how close Sark is and how grateful Sark is to Nick Saban. I'm sure he thought about it. They both agreed that when Texas came up, and you got to take that job. And I think Sark wanted to bet on himself. Sark wants to build his own you know, culture, his own program. He wanted to start his own legacy, and he didn't want that legacy to be on the, on the shoulders of Nick Saban the GOAT. And I don't know if Sark will admit that, but I just think as a, a prideful competitor, I think he wanted to go out there and bet on himself, and he did, and it paid off. Yeah, and so far so good, yeah, right? Why, he's, he's why three, would you go back to Bama now? Three years in at Texas, he's ahead of schedule. He's got a yeah. roster full of good young players. He's got Arch Manning and Quinn Ewers at quarterback. And, uh, you know, things are going well at Texas. Yes, you got to fix the Bo – you replace the Bo Davis situation, but at the same time, a yeah. uh, lot to like. And, and, look, I mean, Nick Saban, I'm of the camp that believes that Nick Saban uh, would have taken the Texas job back in 2013 if it would have been a seamless transition from Mac Brown to Nick Saban, and we know it wasn't. That story's been told over and over again. Uh, and the, the ties between Nick Saban and, and Texas and Alabama are deep. <laughs> the tentacles uh, starting back in 2009 when they, you know, met in the Rose Bowl and – uh, Alabama beat Texas, and Colt McCoy got hurt in the first quarter, and 
Uh, that began the decline of Texas football and the ascent of Alabama to the dominance of the next 14 years that we've seen. Uh, Texas now just back on that, uh, that firm footing where they're playing in the top five in the country, finished number three this year. But uh, as you said, uh, irony that Texas, uh, Texas will have the claim to be the team that beat Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa for the last time. Yeah, it felt like Texas, you know, it's the connections between, you know, Nick Saban and Pete Carroll and Texas are just crazy. I mean, there's just so many. We'll be going through them all, all morning long. But I think the one that is most um, Shakespearean, if you will, in its irony, is that the ascent of the dynastic run for Alabama starts with them beating Texas in the national title game. And the descent of Texas starts at the same very at the same very uh, game. And over the last 15 years or so, we've watched Alabama, you know, dominate and Nick Saban become the goat. Texas has underachieved, and it took a former Nick Saban assistant, Steve Sarkeesian, to come to Texas, beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa, almost exercising a demon to lift the curse of Texas football. Uh, that felt like it was over the program for the last 15 years, and now they find themselves in the college playoff in the year that Nick Saban retires, and that was the last home loss he's going to have on his at record, Alabama. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and now it feels like Texas is getting out from underneath that curse. It's like that fog that is that, – that, I don't know, that cloud is lifted somehow right now. And I know we talked about it. I hope it. that's the case. I know we talked about it during the month of December leading up to the Final Four and the semifinals of – you know, if Nick Saban were to win this thing, would he walk away? And my, my thought was, yeah, he might. He might. This might, if he were to win this whole thing, this might be it for him uh, to to go out on top. At the same time, you know, we we heard from Paul Feinbaum after the loss to Michigan in overtime in the Rose Bowl that uh, he you know he he didn't report it, but he said he he kind of looks like a guy that's ready to retire. And uh, that was that was kind of a bombshell that we talked about last week. Uh, nothing came of it, and then here we are. You know middle of the week and it sounds pretty clear he wanted to, to meet and say it to tell it to his team before anybody else mm-hmm. he wanted to be in front of his players which he did yesterday making the announcement that he is uh, stepping aside at 72 years old the other big news came down this morning let's get you caught up on the uh, the breaking stories as they come top headlines real quick Top Gun Reynolds and Lawn Equipment bring you the top stories. And, yeah, on the heels of yesterday's Nick Saban announcement, it's a bombshell. It's going to send a ripple effect across college football. Who replaces him now and where that goes? Word this morning out of New England that Bill Belichick and the Patriots are going to part ways after a remarkable 24-year season, 24 seasons together, uh, ending an unmatched run in NFL history that included six Super Bowl titles. The 71-year-old had one year remaining on his contract. Belichick will be allowed to leave the team without the Patriots seeking compensation. According to Adam Schefter, he still wants to continue coaching and is expected to draw interest from at least uh, some of the other seven teams that have NFL coaching vacancies. Uh, the league's seventh head coaching vacancy came open yesterday with word from Seattle that Pete Carroll has agreed to step down as the head coach of the Seahawks. Uh, they say he'll remain as an advisor for the franchise, but uh, kind of indicated he'd like to keep coaching as well. We will see. By the way, Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft have a press conference and a media availability called for 11 o'clock our time this morning. Also, yes, Corner headlines brought to you by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment. A new year and a new store. Come see our new beauty location at 200 Trademark Drive to rent, buy, or repair any construction and lawn equipment you need. TopGun.net. We'll shoot you straight. Also, I was about to get into the Bo Davis decision, but we now know yeah. that Bo Davis is going to LSU. Uh, Texas basketball, the women. Uh, how about uh, they beat TCU last night, 72-6. to Can I mention Madison Booker? Uh, this is pretty incredible what she's done, Rod, to uh, move from the wing. She's a 6'1 point guard. 
She's playing point, and then she's a big point guard. Rory Harmon got hurt, and, uh, you know, give Vic Schaefer credit. He swung his fabulous freshman into the control of the ball, and all she's done is she was Big 12's Conference Player of the Week last week. Last night she had 21 points, seven boards, and six assists. Also, I'd mention uh, quite a game last night. We knew we had the, the two losing his teams in the NBA playing last night, and somebody <laughs> had to win, and it was the Spurs. They beat the Pistons. The Pistons are now 3-35. and 35. Yeah. Yeah. That's ugly. And the, the, the second worst team is the Spurs. They've only won five games. They came in and beat them 130 to 108 last night. <laughs> Whipped them. <laughs> Whipped them. And Victor Wenbanyama at 7 3 had a triple double with 16 points, 12 boards, and 10 assists. He's, he's handing out dimes mm-hmm. at 7 foot 4 or That's 5 or whatever his height is. And best game of the night. So, how about Jason Tatum, 35, Jalen Brown, 45. The Celtics beat the Timberwolves. Those are the two best teams in each conference. Uh, the Timberwolves sit atop the West. The uh, Celtics sit atop the East. They played last night, went to overtime. Celtics won it uh, 127-120. So some pretty good stuff going on. But obviously the coaching conversation dominating as we look forward now to wild card weekend in the yeah. NFL. Um, and we'll get back to previewing wild card weekend, I promise you. Uh, these bombshells dropping, though, I just <laughs> have uh, captivated uh, the, the nation, and they are the biggest headlines. And I, I don't know which one you really want to start with. I, they seem like they're all kind of connected <laughs> uh, in a sense. But uh, one thing I think is interesting, because I heard this story about Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks last week after they won and beat Arizona, I believe it was, in Week 18, and the players were smoking cigars in the locker room, I guess celebrating the win. They didn't make the playoffs. Um, it became a big deal. Apparently some of the former players, uh, Bobby Wagner and some other guys, they thought that was uh, – yeah, that, that it was unbecoming. All right, that it, that that they basically didn't live up to the standard, and they shouldn't be smoking cigars in the locker room. That's something you do when you celebrate making the postseason. Seems silly, uh, but even Pete Carroll was upset about it and talked about it's just youthful naivete. They're just naive. They didn't really know about those types of traditions, and they got a really young team. I think the average age of the Seattle Seahawks is twenty-five. It's like they're a really young team. There is some discussion that even though Pete, Pete Carroll brings a youthful uh, energy, <laughs> all right, to his coaching style, that he is 72 and that it's just tough for these guys to relate to a younger football player these days who are just, they're just very, there's a different personality. There's a different type of player than they used to be. Hey, our producer came to the show ago. on Monday with no pants on. Yeah, they're just they're right, like these. <laughs> yes, right. I'm kidding. No, but they're still, but they're generationally, you know, you got kids, all right, generationally. Every generation is very, very different than the other one. Now, there are. Wired differently. Yes, right? And there are obviously commonalities. These guys want to play in the NFL and uh, they want to be great, uh, be great at the college level. They want to play for championships, right? There are some things that uh, all the generations have in common in terms of what they want to achieve. But in terms of the communication, being able to relate to them, that's t- more, more of a challenge, right? When you're in your 70s and these guys are coming in their 20s. So I do wonder if there is. That's why you're you know, kind of seeing it changing of the guard. And I know Belichick wants to coach again too, but I do wonder if some of the GMs are a little hesitant because they're concerned about whether they can re- these, these guys can relate to the younger football players because Belichick lost his team pretty much, right? And he lost a lot of his team and lost a lot of the locker room because he didn't have a quarterback like Tom Brady that was able to bridge that gap and that connection. Your yeah. quarterback helps you bridge that connection for that for that much older coach. No, I agree. And yeah. uh, I think maybe that Pete Carroll. It seems like that was a challenge for him. Um, it seems like for Belichick, it was a challenge without you know, like I said, that QB to bridge that gap. And it seems like hell, even Nick Saban. I wouldn't doubt if Nick Saban was incentivized just a little bit to leave 
because of the burden of NIL and the transfer portal. I mean, the landscape of college football is very, very different than it used to be. So I just wonder if the generational uh, gap is also something that should be considered (laughs) the generational gap. Because these guys are, I mean, I said they're 72, 71. I'm not being an ageist, but. Well, no, and most of the players in the NFL are 25-ish, 26, 20. And, and, well, look, I mean, again, not every situation is the same without a doubt. But, you know, D'Amico Ryans is 39 years old. D'Amico Ryans just stopped playing, and he connects with his team in a big way. Shano's Uh, relatively young. Shano, yeah, Shano's your age, right? I mean, uh, (laughs) young. You're a young guy, Rod. Yeah. Younger, younger. In the the coaching realm, I'd be really young, and Shano's my age. Yeah. really young. I mean, these guys are, you know, they're all in their early 70s, and that doesn't make you not able to know football, but can you connect with a locker room becomes the question. I mean, um, you know, to the end, Nick Saban, you know, probably – did it better than the other two, but it's, I mean, Nick, you know, Pete Carroll was still there. I look at that, that's a fair question, but um, the point of it is, you know, do, if you're going to hire Bill Belichick, is that a consideration? Would you rather go younger? If you would consider hiring Pete Carroll again, would you do that? I think it is a consideration. And to your point, if, if you're in Seattle and you've built this uh, young team with a lot of good players and it probably needs a new quarterback, it, it needs Geno Smith, you know, had a Pro Bowl year a year ago, kind of came back to the pack a little bit this year, and he's seen as the bridge to the next guy. And they, they won the Russell Wilson trade hands oh, down in, no in spades. Um, to your point, if you're going to bring in a new quarterback, and however you do that through the draft, you, know, you trade for one, whatever, bring in another quarterback, you probably want a fresh start at head coach too to start the two together. Uh, because, you know, if you're sitting, you're looking four or five years down the road, he's 72 now, you're going to be 76, to, 77 years old. Second contract, he's going to be 77 years, years old. And, and you're like, like hey, yeah. here we go. <laughs> so those have to be taken into consideration. And that's where, you know, these guys are, you know, historically great coaches. As I said all morning, these are the three greatest football coaches of my adult life. Um, you know, they've accomplished a ton and they've been great for the game. And uh, it's it's why it's an historic day. But, yeah, the the next wave of coaches coming, uh, we'll see how this plays out. But I think the age thing has to be considered. It just does. I mean, you're you're 71 years old, 72 years old coaching, you know, 24, 25, 26-year-old players. That's why I think if Pete Carroll and, and Bill Belichick uh, are going to get, you know, coaching opportunities, it would be, in my opinion, be best to pair them up with a quarterback that's already a, a stable quarterback situation, a team with, with a franchise quarterback already. Because um, that's what Belichick needs, right? Belichick, the struggle was you lose Tom Brady. They think Mac Jones is going to be the guy. Mac Jones is not the guy. And he exacerbates that by putting Matt Patricia and Joe Judge in charge of the yeah, offense. That's just stubborn. Exactly. That's just stubborn. And it just shows you uh, an ignorance. Right about offensive football, even though he's a guy that's Belichicking and coached all three phases of the game, but in ignorance about the uh, the details, the nuance of sophisticated offensive football. He's like, ah, right, Joe Judge and Matt, y'all got that right, y'all got that. Plus, call some slants and some curl routes. He's like, no, no, what are you talking about? You got a young quarterback. You got to develop your young quarterback within the system and framework of the offense. And he obviously didn't think that the, it didn't think that would fail as drastically as it did, but it did. It was a, a horrible, <laughs> abject failure. And I think that you need to make sure he has a quarterback and you pair him up with a really good offensive mind, one he's comfortable with. And you basically let him handle the culture of the team and let him handle the defense. That's yeah. basically it. 
It is interesting that these three coaches that are, are on the top of mind today, Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, and Nick Saban, all, all of uh, relatively the same age, uh, all kind of taking the same track. They're all defensive back coaches to begin with, right? That's their, seen as their specialty, defensive coaches who coach DBs. And you're, you're from DBU, Rod. Started that, Entry, Somebody yeah. put, a, put a point that, uh, guys, uh, Dusty Baker and Bruce Bochy just won the last two World Series titles, which is true. That's in baseball, and they're both in their seven, upper 70s. That's true, but it's a, a different sport. Nothing against that. This, it, is a, it is a different it's sport. It's a different sport. It's a very different sport. Uh, but it also, to your point, it certainly has to be a consideration, but it doesn't mean Bill Belichick No, I'm not saying land. they can't do it. No. I'm just saying I think it may be one of the reasons sure, why that 100%. data points that is considered when you're bringing in Bill Belichick. How can it not? Sure. You're at 72. You're going to get him to draft your quarterback of the future. You have to consider that when your quarterback of the future signs their second contract, he's going to be 77 years old. Yeah. And, <laughs> but, but I do think Bill Belichick will get hired by one of these coaches or one well, of these organizations. I think uh, – I think Atlanta, but again, we're we're watching this play out. We don't even know if there's more availability coming. We talked about Kirby Smart at Georgia. Uh, you know, is Atlanta making a run at him? Yeah. Uh, that conversation is going to be had. Jim Harbaugh's uh, shoe has not dropped yet of what he's going to do. So this is all playing out in real time, and it, it is interesting to say the least. Um, this says, E, what about Jimmy Johnson? Look, Jimmy Johnson is one of the greatest coaches of my adult life, without a doubt. But he just didn't coach as long, and no. he just went decided to go go fishing. And God love him and do mm-hmm. television. Yeah. Uh, because he's like, he's like Stoops, he kind of left it early. And was yeah, like, I'm not yeah, going back. Jimmy Johnson kind of on that Bob yeah. Stoops, but but Jimmy Johnson wanted a higher level than even Bob Stoops yes, he did. did. Of course, but but uh, yeah, I mean, but, but you know, these guys are still doing it and doing it at a high level. Uh, so yeah, the, but for me, I mean, you can in, in, insert other coaches, but you know, as I said, I turned 18 in the late late 80s, and uh, from 1990 on to now, these are the three greatest football coaches I've covered and certainly watched. Right? I mean, there's no one's more accomplished. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was for you know a couple of years with the Cowboys and the Miami Hurricanes before it, but then he decided to he coached the Dolphins for a little bit, but uh, decided did. to go live on his boat. And good for him, man. No, he was all for it. But the level of accomplishment of these guys is unmatched, unmatched. I, I mean, certainly with with Belichick and Saban. I mean, you're talking about you know six Super Bowl championships for for for, for Belichick, uh, a 20 year run of, of dominance. You know, aided in large measure by Tom Brady. Nick Saban, meanwhile, with six championships at Alabama, another one at LSU, seven titles. It's crazy. Uh, you know, revolutionizing college football and then getting out. Still on top. Still on top. His team was yeah. a play away in the overtime from beating Michigan. Yeah, and my thing, my case about Saban being 72 is not that he couldn't relate to the players. It's that I think he may have even gotten, gotten frustrated with the changing landscape of college sports and the burden of it. I mean, we know nobody complained about – the, the you know the the lack of guardrails, the lack of checks and balances, uh, the lack of leadership in college football as it relates to NIL and transfer portal more than Nick Saban. I mean he and I think he should be considered to be the the front runner to be the new commissioner of college football if they ever have one, uh, or at least start promoting him to that that job even if it's just ceremony or an honorary title because they need to start. No, I want his input. I mean I want yeah. him helping to put the guardrails in and then you know make it fair for yeah. most, but it's never going to be. But I think that may be something that he considered in his retirement that oh man you know what i'm out like this is <laughs> this is this is a different job than i signed up for actually that's, over the last three years it, it is yeah and his his current job is not as good as others now like when he when he got to alabama it was the blue blood and if he got it right there was nobody that could be 
could top it, right? Could well, now, it. Yeah. now it's not as good a job just because of the way the, the current situation In works. In Island Transfer Portal, guys, right. can, guys can leave your program now. Yeah. And if, they, if, if a team has more money or a program has more money than Alabama, which a, some, a lot of programs actually do, they don't have a better culture of football but they have a, and better coaching than Alabama, but they do have better, more resources than Alabama, then they can compete with Alabama. They, it's a shortcut. Yeah. He knows that. Now he's like, this, I got a shortcut. All the hard work I put in is trying to build the roster of elite talent, go out there recruiting and building and getting the best talent, recruiting the best talent, developing the best talent. You're telling me now there are some teams that can just have a short – Texas can just have a shortcut there? Yeah. Just go get, go buy the best players via NIO and Texas A&M can do that too? Yeah, you still got to have the coaching, though. You still got to have gotta that. Develop and, it. And take out the culture and them showed you that. You can't just spend the money without all the other qualities and values that come along with it. But, yeah, I think he got a little frustrated with – the new landscape of college sports and thinking to himself, it's only going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, 100%. And, and Alabama's always going to be – they just don't have the, the Brinks trucks that they have at some other places, uh, including here in Austin. I would say this, uh, any thoughts? So if Dan Lanning at Oregon is the odds favorite, which, again, Vegas puts odds on everything, doesn't mean it's going to happen. But the odds favorite now is Dan Lanning uh, out of Oregon, who's got SEC ties, had been at Georgia. He's a young coach, energetic, and it kind of gets the whole new landscape – He's kind of come up in this this new realm. Uh, if he were to say no, which could happen, he's got a pretty good thing going at Oregon. If he were to say no, should Alabama call next call Deion Sanders? Deion Sanders put out a nice tweet out of his ex account yesterday about uh, the goat and uh, leaving Alabama. And of course, those two do Aflac commercials together. And mm-hmm. um, you know, should Alabama call Deion Sanders at Colorado? That's a good question. <laughs> I'd, it would be must-watch television. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm not sure, it's, a, I'm not sure it's, a, it's the right fit. I'm not sure it's the right fit. Would be interesting. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course it would now, be. Now, if, if your guy – Must-watch television. I just don't know if it would be a good if, fit. It, let me say it this way. As dominoes start to fall, and as the, uh, as the wind blows, Rod, mm-hmm. what if uh, Dan Lanning says no and they turn to Florida State's Mike Norvell and Mike Norvell says yes and Florida State calls Deion Sanders? Now that I, think <laughs> I can see happening. I think, I think Mike Norvell might end up as one of the top – I think he is, based on all the odds, one of the top candidates. But when all the dominoes fall, say they called Sark, and Sark was like, no, nah, I'm good, man. Texas, I got it rolling, baby. We're ahead of schedule. I'm good I'm here. I'm the coach arch. I'm like, right? <laughs> exactly. I'm good here, man. And say Dan Lanning, uh, it just didn't work out. He got a $20 million buyout. Maybe that became an issue. That's a big number. Uh, and maybe, you know, the, the sugar daddy, Phil Knight, was like, bro, I got you. Come on, come on back here, man. I'll, I'll, I'll re-up you. So say that didn't work out, and he turned it down. Um, yeah, man, Mike Norvell, I don't see him turning it down. Right. I mean, why would he? Yeah, they just got you know, left, in their opinion, shafted out of the uh, F-14 yeah. playoff. Undefeated team got, yeah. got left out of the college football playoff. And we know that the ACC is a powder keg right now. It's about to blow up. You just We don't know how it's going to look when it blows up. Yeah. But a lot of the big dogs and blue bloods in ACC, they want out or they want more money. And they can't get more money, so they want out. And I'm, I'm, why, why deal with that when you can already go to probably the SEC or the Big Ten where they're going to end up going anyway? Uh, interesting. But then if Florida State were open, they would call Deion Sanders. That's, of course, his, um, his, his now, school. There's been some bad blood between them, which yeah. is weird. I don't, uh, we don't really and, know and the story. And would Deion Sanders leave with Shador ready to be a, his quarterback at Colorado? There's a lot playing here. Yeah. Safe to say. I said this earlier, and I, I was surprised that you put some resistance to it, that you know, Bo Davis leaving Texas to go, and we'll go behind the burn orange curtain coming up with more on the Bo Davis decision, but Bo Davis going to LSU, for me, would, if I'm an LSU fan, would give me 
cause to believe that Brian Kelly's not going anywhere, even if Jim Harbaugh jumps to the NFL. Okay. You say you're not sure. I mean, I if I'm if I'm Brian, I mean, look, these guys know. They these guys know way more than we know. Like yeah, without, so do. if Bo Davis is about to take this job and leave a really good job in Austin, where they offered him a, a raise, you got to know he's got to have insurances that Brian Kelly's going to be there. I would think so. I, I would think. I would think so. And the reports from Chip Brown and also from Kirk Bowles that Bo Davis wants to coach his son, who is at well, southeastern Louisiana right now, and that he could potentially transfer to, to LSU. LSU. Um, and, he, and that academically, that'd be easier to do in-state rather than him trying to transfer to Texas or something like that. And maybe that also, along with the money, <laughs> along with the money, right? And it, that being his alma mater and, you know, him having some love for LSU, that maybe that played a huge role. But I'm just saying, if he goes to Michigan, say Brian Kelly does go to Michigan, Jim Harbaugh leaves, and they want to hire Brian Kelly, I just, I'm not sure that Bo Davis would refuse to go or that Bo Davis would make that a deal breaker. Because they just he would just stay at LSU, whoever they hired. He could stay at LSU, or he could decide to follow him. I mean, he's coached the Detroit Lions. He's coached in Michigan before. Yeah, um, I just think, why would you leave this secure job without – if there was uncertainty coming, I guess would be my yeah, way no, of you're looking. Right. I, I, no, you're I would, right. I would be certainly asking those questions that, to Brian Kelly. I, to, I totally agree with you. Um, I don't want to yeah. move twice here, and I don't want to have to deal with a head coach I don't uh, that's uncertain. That's true. Uh, so we'll see. Because I, I, I know LSU fans are a bit freaked out about that whole thing. That would at least give me some, so, some cause for optimism yeah. in that front. No, you're right. And, I mean, at, the, and at the same time – you know, who knows? I mean, gosh, who, who, who dang knows? I don't know. I, I was surprised when I saw the Bo Davis news yesterday because I thought he had uh, made his call. But uh, I did, will say this, that some of the guys that cover Matt Moscono, Moscono who covers LSU, he had reported that uh, getting Bo Davis to come to LSU was even more important to LSU than the defensive coordinator hire. That that was even of more import because they got to fix their D line. It's gonna be he's gonna get paid as much. Like, like whoever our defensive coordinator is, it doesn't matter as much as, as getting the trenches right because everybody knows it's a line of scrimmage league in the SEC. And this past year, the LSU defense fell off big time, and uh, they got to get back to being yeah. tougher at the point of attack. I, yeah, I don't know how much they're gonna pay their DC because they're paying Bo Davis a lot. one point three or one point five million. And they got to pay October two. Yeah, they brought him. He's coming in from Missouri. Yeah. Yeah, he's the, the D.C. at Missouri. All right, we'll come back. When we do, Rod will take us behind the burn orange curtain and all that's going on there. Uh, no player development yesterday at Texas, but certainly the coach development. Longhorns uh, have already lost their linebackers coach off of this defense, and now the D-line coach is headed to LSU. We'll talk more about it coming back. Plus, before the end of the hour, a little round of off the record. Having fun with you on Historic Thursday. News coming fast. Turn is presented by Callahan's General Store, helping to keep your yard in golf course condition year-round for 45 years. It's always a good day to make it a Callahan's day. Yeah, halfway through our Thursday conversation, and there are plenty of them. Nick Saban stepping aside at Alabama. Shockwave yesterday, this morning. Shockwave from New England. Bill Belichick departing New England, but still wants to coach. Pete Carroll also uh, leaving Seattle, uh, or at least told to leave Seattle. Uh, we're talking about those things. But also at the turn rod, halfway through our five-hour conversation, two and a half hours in. We're nine holes in. we got nine to go. Uh, a little golf chatter real quick. They'll tee it off for the uh, second event of 2024 today, Rod, in Hawaii. Uh, coming off of last weekend's uh, event at Kapalua. 
But we've got some breaking news of our own. In addition to the first hard freeze coming in a Sunday into Monday, Rod, get over to Callahan's General Store. They bring you the tour of Central Texas golf courses. Get all of your uh, essentials to keep you uh, freeze, make you freeze protected, right, with your pipes and your pets and your plants and everything you need. They have all of it and ready to go for you. Obviously, with your pets, you just bring them inside and make sure they're not freezing. Yes, but the rest of it, you may need some expertise, and that's what Callahan's has. But speaking of uh, the, the tour of Central Texas, Rod, some breaking news. Ty, can we have the – we've already had the breaking news sounder multiple times this morning, but uh, happy to announce that our, our uh, tour of Central Texas golf here in the month of January, Rod, our first golf course of the month for 2024. We're going to be taping today. Nice. Uh, Omar Uresti, our, uh, he is Austin Golf, uh, Crockett High School, University of Texas, still a, a competitive member on the uh, Champions Tour, uh, plays right, right out of here out of Onion Creek, Rod. We're going to be taping at the beautiful Great Hills Country Club. Great Hills Country Club in northwest Austin. Uh, snuggled right in there in the northwest hills near the Arboretum. Uh, so we're going to be out there playing some of the holes and learning about the uh, Great Hills Country Club, who last year, Rod, celebrated the 50th anniversary of the course. And uh, it was built in 1973. Uh, safe to say they've seen a lot of growth in that area since 1973. Uh, it was built into the hills of northwest Austin by the uh, PGA legend Don January and the architect Billy Martindale. Uh, here's what's interesting about, uh, about uh, Great Hills, Rod. It's, it's, uh, it's a membership course, right? You've got to be a member. But the, it is owned by the members. Like the course itself, and oh, it's, it's, cool. it's a membership-owned course. It's a member-owned course. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to learn all about that. I don't know much about how all that works. It's kind of like the Green Bay Packers are owned by the, uh, you know, the fans mm -hmm. the and the people. shareholders of the team. The people, baby. Yeah, the members actually own the course. And so we're going to learn about the amenities at the club, their redesigned and completely reconstructed clubhouse, which is amazing. So we're uh, glad to be here, and we'll be talking out there with, uh, with Rick Arnett, the uh, head, head golf professional today, and some of the crew. But uh, take a course tour. We're looking forward to it. Great Hills Country Club will be our golf course of the month for January as we start the new year in style with the great, great hills. Excited exactly. about that. So we'll have more on it coming up. Uh, uh, we'll be out there recording today, so we'll have some videos and some, uh, some uh, social media uh, stuff to be coming soon. Also, the conversations of Great Hills Country Club. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And that is At The Turn, brought to you by Callahan's General Store. At The Turn is presented by Callahan's General Store, helping to keep your yard in golf course condition year-round for 45 years. It's always a good day to make it a Callahan's day. And they were all asking themselves the same question. What is behind that curtain? All right, let's get into uh, some Texas football conversation. Let's talk about Bo Davis a little bit uh, with all the coaching changes and the <clears throat> excuse me, latest round of coaching uh, carousel hires and firings. Um, we haven't really gotten time to get to the Bo Davis uh, discussion. Bo Davis uh, is heading back to LSU. That was reported yesterday. Um, there was a bidding war of sorts. Um, apparently, LSU did offer more. The report was between $1.3 and $1.5 million. That's a lot of money. <laughs> I'm sure Texas could have matched it or beat it. Um, it didn't seem like Texas was going to make that a priority. I think one of the reasons was if, if you up – 
Bo Davis to that, and you beat LSU's offers, if you beat 1.5, you got to go into the 1.6, 1.7 category. PK makes 1.7, I believe. Um, your D-line coach can't make more than your defensive coordinator. So you got to up PK. Um, you and to up have a guy making that much. I, I don't even know if Bo Davis is going to get up in title. He may just be the D line coach there. You're bringing a co DC and Johnny Nansen. I don't know how much Johnny Nansen's going to make, uh, but the reason you make him co DC is so that you can you know pay them a certain amount. You can justify it. It there's a lot involved there. Um, a lot of Longhorn fans are disappointed that Texas couldn't win that bidding war because we talk about the BMDs, uh, the big money donors all the time. There will be other good D-line coaches out there available. And Sark has shown uh, that he has a good track record here at Texas of making coaching hires. And coaches want to come work for Sark and at the University of Texas because they pay well and they got a lot of talent. So I'm not that stressed out about losing Bo Davis. It is disappointing. Uh, he is considered one of the top three best D-line coaches in all of college football. But there are other D-line, good D-line coaches out there. Uh, we talked about some of these earlier. You go look at it, uh, you know, Frank Ocam is another a guy you can consider. He's a lifetime Longhorn, but I, I, he's in Toledo right now um, running things on their D-line. Uh, Rod Wright is an assistant D-line coach in the NFL right now. It's his first stint in the NFL. He just got there in 2023, so he might be interested in coming back to the college level. But coached at UTSA and um, Sam Houston, if I'm not mistaken. So he's actually got some recruiting uh, ties, and he's got a little bit of a resume recruiting the state of Texas, which should help Sark. Uh, Ed Orgeron is the guy you can throw out there. He's got some baggage, um, but you would bring in a guy who's got skins on the wall, national championship on his resume, been a head coach. Sometimes that matters. We, a lot of coaches like former head coaches on their staff. It helps them kind of work through. They can uh, have think tank sessions with former head coaches. They can keep you from making some of the mistakes that they made. Um, so a lot of coaches, they love having guys who are former head coaches on the staff. Freddie Roach is the D-line coach at Alabama with Nick Saban leaving. That might be something uh, to explore. Freddie Roach, the D-line coach at Alabama. You know, Nick Saban's already vetted him for you. Uh, there could be a history. I'm sure Sark and the guys who came from Alabama, Jeff Banks, Scott Flood, uh, they have familiarity with Freddie Roach as well. Um, so that's something to consider. Also, um, man, I wonder – Oscar Giles is another one. I wonder if he'll come back for a third stint. The only thing I – you know, he might – you know, I think he, he will. He's at Wyoming right now, as he mentioned earlier. Uh, he's their D-line coach. But Oscar Giles, uh, for years on the 40 Acres, man, he put in work. Great recruiter. Um, he's very loyal to the university and to the brand. I mean, he's the guy that essentially recruited all the guys that Bo Davis has turned into NFL draft. Uh, NFL draftable prospects on that D-line. Uh, Tavondre Sweat, your Moore Ojimo, your KLJ Coburns, your uh, Byron Murphys. Uh, right, your Alfred Collins. That's you know, that's all Oscar Giles bringing in uh, some of those, those young guys uh, right before Sark got in here. So um, yeah, I mean that's also something to consider. Oscar Giles maybe his third stint with the with the Longhorns, and he's proven that he can he can develop talent too. Go look at all the guys that he developed his first stint as the D line coach at Texas with Mac Brown. I mean, you got some of the best D linemen uh, in recent history on that on, uh, on, with that group. Alex Okafor is on that group. Uh, you're talking about uh, you know I think you, you'll look at uh, Sam Acho is a part of that group. The guys that he developed, Puna Ford would be another one that he developed that was turned into a really, really good player on the D-line. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, I, I think that Oscar Giles has proven himself. Sergio Kendall, 
um, you know, Tim Crowder, a bunch of Charles Menahu. There's a lot of guys that will vouch for Oscar Giles as a guy that can develop. Malcolm Roach is in that category. So he's got a really good resume, an extensive resume on the Ford Acres already. So you can go that route. It's all about what Sark prioritizes and wants out of his defensive line coach. Maybe he wants a coach like Ed Orgeron who's got – and now there is a stipulation, I believe, Bobby Burton mentioned this on All Text Football, that in Ed Orgeron's contract that if he coaches in the SEC against LSU – that there is some penalty of some sort. But technically, Texas isn't in the SEC yet. So I believe if they hire him before they're an SEC team, then they, the, penalty, uh, the, the penalty doesn't actually apply. That's from what my understanding of what Bobby said. It only applies if SEC teams hire Ed Orgeron. Technically, right now, they would be hiring him before they're an SEC team which would make the uh, the, the penalty uh, not applicable. But, like I said, I don't know. That the, I haven't looked at the contract, but that's just from my understanding. But maybe he wants a former head coach. Uh, maybe he wants someone younger. If he wants younger, uh, Frank Ocam, Rod Wright, uh, or younger guys. If he wants someone who's been there and done that, seasoned veteran, then maybe you're looking at a Freddie Roach or an Oscar Giles. It all depends on what he wants. I mean, there are really good D-line coaches out there, so I would not be – heartbroken over Bo Davis for too long. It's sad that he's gone, but he went for sentimental reasons. And we talked about this. I don't know if you were going to win a bidding war for Bo Davis when he wants to coach his son, reportedly, says uh, Chip Brown and my man uh, Kirk Bowles of the Statesman. That at was, his alma mater. At his alma mater, coach, that place that he played. Some serendipity to that. Yeah, the, so I think there's the parent, some um, emotional, personal connections that I don't know if you could have you competed with that. Yeah. Well, and as we found out from Jerry Hamilton on our last visit with G, that, uh, you know, Bo Davis's family, they still live in Kingwood, which is north of Houston there. Yeah. And I'm sure to be able to be between and go back to Louisiana and go see their son play and those kind of things. Yes, true. So, and, you know, coaches a lot of times will travel a lot. But at the same time, you know, there's a, that's home. And you said that. If, they, if UT called you <laughs> and said, hey, Rod, come home. I'm, I'm coming. There's a draw to that yeah. that you just can't outbid at some level. And, and I will say for Sark, I remember one of our first conversations with Sark was uh, – you know, touting Bo Davis as the best defensive line coach in the country. Yep. And it was one of the part of the reasons for the, you know, they were so excited to have he and Kyle Flood to help build the lines of scrimmage. So, yes, he's he's a loss, but there are other good coaches out there, as you say. And you know, the one thing you can say about Bo Davis, in his three years, he built the line and built, left it in a really good place uh, that it can be built upon, right? Like a lot of the other foundational pieces of this Texas program, whoever does come in, will be ahead of the curve when it yeah, comes well. to that with talent and, uh, you know, an Alfred Collins and a, you know, Sadir Mitchell and some of these young guys coming on the D-line. Uh, they got to continue that development. But, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing where Sark goes with this. But that's just part of the deal. When you win and uh, you, you are developing players and, you know, people are going to covet your coaches. There's First just no doubt about problems. that. Yeah. First world problems. You want these problems. <laughs> it's, it's much better and it's much more alike. When it, having done this as long as I have, Rod, um, you know, the only coaches Mac Brown lost when he was building Texas into the what eventually became the dominant program for a decade, won a, won a national championship, nearly won two. The coaches didn't get let go. They they moved on. Uh, mm-hmm. They and then for the last ten years before Steve Sarkeesian got here, they were changing coaches at, and yearly because of uh, looking to upgrade. You know, it wasn't even about. Yeah. No one was poaching the coaches. You're right about that. They were underperforming. So they had to change out coaches year by year, coordinators year by year. That has now stopped. And now here for the first year in year three, you know, you had, well, you had Stan Drayton after year one because Stan had built a great resume mm-hmm. and he got poached to come be the head coach at Temple. And then you had Brock, uh, you know, Coach Marion yep. uh, from wide receivers off to UNLV where C still is. And now Jeff Choate 
who was a head coach before coming here to be a linebackers coach. And, uh, you know, same thing with Bo Davis. And that's just uh, – that, that's a first-world problem, as you say. But it's also – don't well, it's not the last. You know, Johnny Nansen's coming here to leave a defensive coordinator position at Arizona to be a linebackers coach at Texas so that if things go the, where, where, they, where they hope they're going, he can then go be a head coach somewhere, yes, right? Well. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the career path. <laughs> that is the career path. That's what you want. Ultimately, Nick Saban, that, that problem that Nick Saban had, one of the biggest issues he had – he had to replace coaches damn near every year. Every year. Like every Great coaches, really good coaches. Now your guy Shano out of San Francisco has got to do the same thing. Yeah. People Sean are coming Mc, to poach, Sh- the, poach Sean, the Niners. Sean McVay had to deal with it. Remember Sean McVay was up? <laughs> it's like, oh, man, if you have Sean McVay's number on your phone, then, hey, man, you might be up for an assistant coach job. Uh, it happens. That's, that's, that's part of – actually, that's part of speaking. We're talking about the GOATs. That was part of the paranoia of Bill Belichick of – why he thought teams would be stealing his ideas and stealing his concepts and stealing his philosophy would be through poaching his coaches, which is why he never gave his coaches all of his secrets. And it helped him extend his window of that dynasty, but it ultimately hurt him as well because his coaching tree is terrible. And (laughs) I think ultimately because his coaching tree is terrible and all those coaches, they come back to Belichick. They don't come back better coaches. They actually come back to him shells of themselves as coaches because he, they, they don't necessarily learn how to build a football uh, culture and a football program organization from the ground up or from the top down like you would think from a Belichick who has all the knowledge because he's not giving it to him. So it's, it is very different than you know, some of the other coaches. So that's, that's the irony of it in some of these goats in the way they've uh, done business or at least their methods of uh, building the, the the culture and building the program. And Nick Saban, like I said, he had to replace coach. He, he basically had a, a, a redemption, kind of a, a, a basically a redemption project going on to help replace coaches because he got into the business of replacing all of his coaches year after year because everybody was poaching him. So he started saying, you know what, there are really good coaches who have, you know, gotten off the beaten path. They've uh, been derailed for whatever reason. Uh, they have to battle some demons like Sark or you know, like Elaine Kiffin. And so while they are reinventing themselves, all right, uh, while they are start planning their redemption story, why don't you come coach for Nick Saban, all right, and now you can coach for me. I get them at a discount. If you're Nick Saban, you get them at a discount, and you get them when they're trying to prove themselves, when they're the hungriest they've ever been as a coach. Because I've got to prove myself to the world that I am a good coach after having the fall from grace. And so that was actually something Nick Saban, I don't, that was kind of unique to Saban. The, the, getting the coaches who had the fall from grace on the cheap, yeah. and then re- and basically the Nick Saban coaching car wash, helping them reinvent themselves. He's done that with like five, six coaches now. Bill O'Brien, Steve Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin. Does it over and over again. You know, Major Applewhite went through that thing. <laughs> yeah. Charlie Strong went through it. Everybody goes through that Nick Saban coaching car wash, man, it helps out. Uh, and I think that was Nick Saban's way of getting coaching talent, even though he kept losing all the coaching talent he was developing. He would lose it year after year, and he was, it was getting tougher to replace it. So how do, you get, how do you get that high-level coaching talent back infused into your program? Well, you know what? I'll get the guys who are, who've had a fall from grace. I'll get the guys who, who have basically fell out of favor. And they're still good coaches. I just got to rehabilitate their character. And within my culture, oh, we can make that happen. In the Nick Saban, Bama culture, I ain't got to worry about Lane Kiffin acting a fool. Yes. I ain't got to worry about Steve Sarkeesian falling off the wagon, whatever. We'll help them get back on track and be the best version of themselves. And he, you know, he did. 
It's where amazing. He was very different than yeah. uh, than his great friend and mentor Bill Belichick for sure. Yeah. Uh, well said. All right. There's some behind the burn orange curtain. Bo Davis and his replacement to come. Uh, coming back, we'll go off the record. Some stories maybe you've missed to this point in the morning. There's been so much going on, but you need to hear them because they're going to be talked about. It's hook 'em up with Ian Rod B on a busy Thursday. D.D. Mega Doodoo, I'm sorry, Mangudu. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Deli Cat Essen. Well, well I don't get a break my head comb. Well, congratulations. Continue good sex in, the, good sex in the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. And boom goes the dynamite. It's time for another edition of Off the Record. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. And thing sucks. We know off the record never sucks. Are you kidding me? We've got a lot to do in off the record, a lot to oh, do man. in the coaching realm. I know you saw that uh, the week continues at ESPN. What a weird week. Aaron Rodgers now going to be off of Pat McAfee's show on Tuesdays for the rest of the football season run. Yeah. Pat McAfee made the announcement yesterday. No he more. He said he was Aaron happy Rod- about it. He said, he, he said the pressure of having Aaron Rodgers on there um, because he's so polarizing, he, they get so much hate. Hate mail and hate tweets, and uh, they get so much blowback from it that he basically like it's not worth it. <laughs> I kind of want to get back just talking about sports and football and people having hot takes about that and not about Fauci and about COVID and about other stuff. You know when he has him on there because yeah. Aaron Rodgers was go off about anything as we saw with the Jimmy Kimmel thing. He would just yeah, go off don't, whatever's on his mind. Pat McAfee show it. doesn't need that, right? Yeah. But it, you know, obviously Aaron Rodgers has benefited the Pat McAfee show even being on ESPN because through the soap opera of his divorce from the Packers, having him on every Tuesday. Oh, man. That's where all the news broke. Yep. Um, about, oh, yeah. He's, he's only talking about all kinds of stuff. He's talking now, about, it's gone to, now it's gone to the loony bin. Or, he admitted that he did uh, – what's the uh, drug that he did? Uh, I forget it was called. The tea. Yeah. Well, and, and look, like, whatever side of all of those conversations <laughs> you're on, you, you can't you, – can't win with that. I mean, it's one of the reasons we don't talk about it much. I mean, you either got to go all in one way or you got to stay out of it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like it, ayahuasca. That's what he did. Ayahuasca. He did to do any ayahuasca. Which is fine. Him. Good for him. And the you know the, the sleep you know, yeah. with the lived in the hole for lived four days. Black, yeah, the, <laughs> the, the, the dark <laughs> room with no windows. But I'm saying that all those things he talks about. So he, he has crossover appeal on there. So the Pat McAfee show goes from the sports page to the front page because of Aaron Rodgers. Sure. Yeah, and I, I I think Bill Belichick's on there. Excuse me, Bill, Nick Saban is on today. Yeah, you probably yeah. You know he's, he's been on there a few times. Actually, well, Nick yeah. Saban, well, his his weekly guests that come in and spend yeah. several I think several segments with him. It's been Pat Mack. It's been um, Aaron Rodgers. Yep. JJ uh, Watt. It's good. And then it's been Nick Saban. Those are those are good guests. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it's and you know he took some criticism when it was revealed that he paid them. Uh, to be on his show, to which Pat Max says, well, you know how much money those guys have made us and me and our company? Because we started from scratch in Indianapolis with a little podcast, and having those guys on our show has reaped huge financial benefits. No so, yes, doubt. I'm going to pay them well worth to it. be on the – spend yeah. an hour with us. So, uh, But, yes, it is well worth it. And um, But now the uh, Aaron Rodgers thing will end for the rest of the year. Yeah. I At least the rest of the football season. Yeah, I understand why they did. It's not, like I said, now on that bigger It's becoming platform. more detrimental than yes. beneficial. On that bigger platform now, I bet the blowback now is way more, I think, it, it, extreme yes. than it was when they were, like you said, kind of a mom and pop operation. You yes. ain't mom and pop no more, man. No. You corporate, baby. Uh, how about this? Would you, I guess I, th- I kind of should have put this in bullish or BS, um, but there's a guy, uh, Roy Engelbrecht. Yeah. He's a promoter. He wants to have the irrelevant bowl. And he says he's going to push to make it happen. In college football? 
Yes, the relevant bowl would feature the worst teams in college football <laughs> facing off in a bowl game. No polls, no rankings, he says, no controversy. Just two winless or near-winless teams looking for redemption and one elusive <laughs> win. <laughs> he said, knowing that the NCAA has become more flexible with the number of teams' uh, wins to qualify for a bowl game, I will petition the NCAA asking them to grant a waiver in 2024 so that two teams would be eligible to play in the inaugural Irrelevant Bowl. These are the same people that do the Mr. Irrelevant uh, celebration and promotion for the the last pick in the NFL draft. Extend the brand. So yeah, so now they want. So if there had been an irrelevant bowl played this past December, Vanderbilt two and ten versus one and eleven Akron with the Zips. Teams. Yeah, I wouldn't have watched that <laughs> because in, in in economics, right, or at least in business, that's called exp- expanding the brand. Right, you're trying to lengthen the brand. You want your brand to yeah, yeah. It is this, but yeah, we want yeah, it to yeah, be yeah. this. Mr. Relevant. By the yeah, way, yeah. has anybody ever expanded their brand and ex- lengthened their brand better than Snoop Dogg? No, Snoop Dogg's great at marketing. He's got a great marketing mind. I was thinking about that because yeah. I saw him doing something else the other yeah. day. I'm like, this guy, no one lengthened their brand like this yeah. guy. Snoop Dogg's great brand. And he actually, he had to find an interview where he gives a lot of oh, problems. Oh, when they came out that he's going to be doing stuff for the Olympics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah. like co- commentating. It's like yeah. no one has ever oh, man, this stretched their brand Martha more than Stewart. this guy. Yeah, Martha, Martha Stewart. Stewart. Nobody has crossed over in mainstream appeal. He's a hip-hop artist who was on trial for murder at one point. Exactly. When he was just a gangster rapper, now he's hanging with Martha Stewart, working on the Olympics, hanging with Willie Nelson. The guy knows how to he knows how to market himself. That's how you expand the brand and yeah, lengthen man. your brand. You got to cross over. Speaking gotta of that, Rod, over. remember uh, when the Bengals played the Browns this weekend and uh, Jake Browning's girlfriend was wearing that bodysuit that everybody was so fond of? It was a nice-looking bodysuit. She has a nice body, so that helped, right? It, it would have looked different <laughs> on a different person. It does help. <laughs> <laughs> but the designer of that, uh, the designer of that uh, – particular jumpsuit the name her name is l and b creative she says people are beating down her door she can't keep up with the business now oh for the little cat suit yeah the little cat suit mm-hmm. so we're yeah. a fan of this we want more people to that look that you invest in that now but you gotta have the body though you can't be getting that if you ain't could got be the body the, for it you're saying on. it could go the way of the daisy duke shorts it looks good on some not yeah, all yeah and everybody adopts <laughs> it yoga pants have become that oh. it's like, hey all y'all need to be wearing them <laughs> Y'all know that's true. Come on now. They stretch a lot. <laughs> now everybody's wearing them. It's like, oh, they made for everybody. Well, apparently uh, ho- uh, Holly, <laughs> Stephanie Niles, the girlfriend of Jake Browning, has made this lady a fortune. She look good. Yeah. Look Taylor good. Damron of L&B Creative hey. now can't keep up with the business. Hook them up on Ian Rod with Ian Rod B.